0: Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what is this carbon tax you have to pay and how does it work? Well, there were no surprises in store for anyone when Pascal Donoghue stood up to deliver Budget 2020. This was to be a Brexit budget, complete with fulsome use of the words prudent and cautious – While we didn't get near as many mentions of climate change as we did Brexit, it did feature as a topic throughout the minister's statement. But the major change had been well flagged. Ireland was going to increase its carbon tax so it wouldn't be seen as a complete laggard on the environment's woes anymore. And thus it came to be. From midnight the 8th of October, the carbon tax on a tonne of petrol or diesel would be 26 euro. That's an increase of six euro. And once this winter is over, which is according to the government, in May and not February like our school books have told us for all those years, the hike will also apply to home heating fuels. But what does a carbon tax look like? How are we paying it? How can one avoid paying it? These are a lot of consumer questions that we're going to answer today. Well, I'm not going to answer them, but the Journal.ie's political correspondent, Christina Finn, is alongside Dr. Mwiren Lynch, who is the Research Officer at the Economic and Social Research Institute, which you will know better as, as the ESRI. Thanks very much, everybody, for joining us. Christina, just going to start on basics here. Tell us what a carbon tax is.
1: So a carbon tax is a tax basically on fossil fuels such as oil, petrol, diesel, gas and coal and peat. So anything basically that produces CO2. So carbon tax has been with us basically since 2010. Um, And then it was extended to include solid fuels in 2013. And then it was increased again in 2014 to €20 euro for what you've been paying now for the last number of years. And this budget, budget 2020, was the first increase on that €20 euro since then.
0: So we are paying it. How are we paying it? How does it affect our everyday? Like, Where am I actually giving this money to people?
1: <laughs> so for the last number of years, you've been paying €20 euro carbon tax per tonne. So... Say for a bag of coal of 40 kilograms, that's €2.10 on the €20 euro, uh, pricing. That's €0.45 cents, um, for a bale of baguettes, uh, 5 cents 3 on a litre of diesel and, say, €46, euro, including VAT, on the average gas bill. So you have been paying it for the last number of years and it's set to increase from, from basically now and also May for the home heating oil.
0: Wherein, why are carbon taxes introduced? Why do governments favour them?
2: for at least one of two reasons. The first reason is to try to change behavior. We know that when we tax something, we get less of it and carbon is no exception. And the climate scientists are telling us that we are consuming far too much carbon, especially in Western developed countries, such as Ireland. So if you tax carbon, you will get less of it. Um, The secondary reason is to raise revenue. Why do we have any taxes at all? We want to raise revenue. And we use that revenue to pay for public services and also to redistribute wealth from richer households to poorer households. So the carbon tax can be a bit of an issue in that it hits poorer households more than richer households. But there are ways to recycle the revenue in order to make sure that the total effect actually doesn't penalize poorer households.
0: So we might as well get into those uh, ways. How does, in general use of carbon tax, how do people recycle it so it doesn't hit lower income households more?
2: So there's a number of ways to do this. Um, Different countries have tried different things worldwide. Some countries have decided to recycle carbon tax revenues through something like a lump sum payment. So this is where every individual or every household just gets a lump sum every year. And that was one option that was explored in Ireland, but they haven't gone ahead with it. Another option is to recycle it through the tax and welfare system. So this is where you might increase tax credits a bit, you might increase social welfare payments, you might increase the pension, child benefit, one parent family payments, all these kind of um, instruments that already exist. So that means that people are paying more money on their carbon taxation but they're getting more money into their household every week or every fortnight or every month. And that means that it balances out. And it also means that you can target um, the revenues toward poorer households over richer households if that's what you'd like to do. Uh, Or another way that the revenues can be recycled is by specifically ring-fencing them for carbon or energy-related projects. So things like what the government has decided to do in this budget is to increase the fuel allowance um, and also to put some extra funding into schemes to retrofit houses of uh, of poorer people. Um, That is not really a recycling mechanism. That's because you're not returning the funds to people. That's more of an expenditure mechanism that's just being funded out of carbon taxation.
0: Christina, can you give us the details of some of those measures that were um, in the budget 2020?
1: Yeah, well, uh, the Fine Gael decided that uh, rather than giving a check back to people, they thought they would ring fence the profits that had come back through the carbon tax into green initiatives. So there are things like retrofitting your home in terms of making it, um, you know, warmer, um, you know, through uh, different schemes. And, and a lot of work obviously has to be done to make someone's home up to a standard. So obviously... That's going to take a bit of time for people to actually feel that benefit. There is an increase in the fuel allowance by two euro. Um, some criticisms from politicians is that, you know, that's only a price of one p per cat and it's not going to, you know, really impact, I suppose, maybe some elderly people who are, you know, feeling the increase uh, in their fuel at that. Uh, and that's the two time. euro per week. That's right. Yeah.
0: And how many weeks of the year do people receive a fuel allowance? Twenty eight. Um, where in, just in general, do carbon taxes work? Yeah, um, the short answer is yes. Um, the,
2: the research shows that where carbon taxes have been introduced, the usage of carbon goods has gone down. Um, but what we have to remember as well is in the long run, it's not just about will I drive less or will I insulate my house so that I burn less gas? It's about shifting from carbon-intensive industries towards less carbon-intensive industries, um, and so in the short run you just use less carbon goods directly. In the long run, the whole economy moves to a less carbon-intensive, uh, to a less carbon-intensive set of of economic activity. One of the problems is it's very difficult to find what's called the counterfactual. So what we're saying is it's not enough to say, okay, we introduced a carbon tax in 2010, let's look at what happened to emissions in 2011. Oh, they went up, the carbon tax didn't work, or oh, they went down, the carbon tax did work. Because the question of course is, what would emissions have done if you hadn't introduced a carbon tax? So there have been a lot of countries that have introduced a carbon tax and their total emissions have still grown, but you can use economic techniques to show that the emissions are lower than what they would have been if you hadn't in, introduced a carbon tax. Then the other thing you can do is you can analyze expenditure data um, and see how do people actually change their expenditure when prices change and on that basis you can predict what a carbon tax would do to carbon consumption. And That's some research that I've done here with colleagues in the ESRI and we have found that if you do increase carbon taxation, that people do actually respond to that change in price. They don't respond to the same extent that they would if you were to increase the price of something like cinema tickets or clothes or something that people have a bit more discretion in whether they consume it or not. But there is definitely a price response there.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask that because a lot of the commentary around this, even from journal readers or commenters would say, there is no way I can change my behaviour. I have to drive the exact same amount every um, day because I I live and work 30 kilometres apart and there's no public transport. And I heat my, I'm already prudent in terms of heating my house and it's insulated as well as it can be. Um, So how is this tax meant to change? behavior if they're in those circumstances? So I'd say a couple of things to that. Uh, The first thing I'd say is let's take an extreme
2: example. So I don't know if you have a TV at home and if you do, do you leave it on standby or do you turn it off at night? But a lot of people leave it on standby. Now, let's just say that the price of electricity tomorrow went to a million euro per milliwatt hour. I guarantee you everybody would be turning their TV completely off at night uh, because nobody wants to wake up to a bill of six million euro. So that's an extreme example, but it's just not the case that there's absolutely nothing we can do to change our behavior in the short run. It is, we are certainly limited in what we can do to change our behavior in the short run. Maybe it's not a case of, well, I'm not going to go to work anymore because I have to drive to work, but you might maybe take one less trip to the shops, for example, or you might try to double up on dropping your child to GAA and doing the shop at the same time rather than doing them two separate runs. These are little changes we can make. But the second point I'd make is in the long run, we can definitely make behavioral changes. And this is where carbon tax comes into its own because a lot of the things we need to do to reduce carbon involve a significant upfront investment. So something like insulating your house. And what the government has done is they've not only increased carbon tax by six euro in this budget, but they've signaled that they're going to be increasing it out to 2030, where it will eventually hit 80 euro per tonne. So if you give a long run taxation signal like that, that means that people can plan. They can plan their future investments and their future consumption. And that might might mean that while it wouldn't make sense to maybe buy a more efficient car on the basis of a 20 euro per tonne carbon tax, by 2030, it might make sense when carbon taxes are 80 euro per tonne. And that might, in, that might change what your behavior is in terms of the next car that you buy rather than just where you drive tomorrow.
0: So this is kind of, if you think of the carrot and stick approach, this is kind of the stick. It's like, we're going to charge you if you keep behaving like you're behaving. Is from an economic behavioral point of view, is that the best way to go about this? Um, yes and no. So it needs to be,
2: I don't really like to think of it as a carrot or a stick. I prefer to think of it as just rearranging the prices that we face. At the moment, we don't face the cost of carbon when we consume carbon goods. There are a lot of costs that consuming carbon emits in the economy and we don't have to bear those costs. Carbon tax is about trying to make us bear those costs. However, if you accompany carbon tax with something like revenue recycling, that means you're facing a new set of prices, your fuel and your petrol and your diesel are more expensive, But you also have extra money in your pocket, which means you can make a new set of choices. You can make a new set of decisions. If instead we go with a subsidy approach, that kind of takes the decision out of our hands and puts the decision into politicians' hands. So, for example, if we decide we're going to retrofit all the houses in the country, well, that's great. But what if you're living in a house that's actually pretty well insulated? You can't really decrease your heating bills at all, or you might even have renewable heating in your house but you're facing a long commute and you can't afford a new car or you can't afford an electric car. So in that case, if we go with what people like to call the carrot, which is subsidies, what it really means is the policymakers have to kind of pick winners. They have to decide which carrots they're going to choose. And those carrots might work for some households and they mightn't work for others. Whereas if we go with a carbon tax approach, but we accompany it with revenue recycling, that means that the household can make the best decisions for themselves on how to reduce carbon.
0: Is there any really solid examples of where this has worked well, that it has been brought in without protests, that it has worked with its aim in terms of reducing carbon emissions to where they could have been? Is there any model that Pascal Dunne who would have been looking at thinking, yes, that's what we want?
2: So I suppose in terms of the social acceptability, the model that's most talked about is in British Columbia, where carbon tax was introduced by one party on one side of the political spectrum, the party on the other side of the political spectrum opposed it, but they brought it in in tandem with the kind of revenue cycling where they reduced tax rates across lots of different sectors. Um, And now it's actually quite a popular measure. It certainly didn't have protests and it's now gained broad approval across the political spectrum. And in fact, they're looking to extend it across Canada. Other provinces are looking at it or whether or not to go at, I suppose, a federal level in Canada. A different model, what the Swiss did was in Switzerland, and a lot of countries have this model, you're essentially obliged to purchase health insurance every year. Um, and what the Swiss decided to do was they used carbon tax revenues to reduce the amount that people would have to pay on health insurance. So that was kind of like a lump sum. That's a kind of a cheap way to implement a lump sum. Uh, if we wanted to implement a lump sum in Ireland, we'd have to physically post the check to everybody, which would have been very expensive. My guess is Pascal Dunne, who probably shied away from that model in Ireland for those reasons. But in terms of the choice to go with ring fencing and recycling the revenues through grants and the fuel allowance rather than through the taxation and welfare system, I'm not too sure what the what the political calculus would have been behind that decision.
0: How do we compare to other countries, just to go back to the the aim of, of carbon emissions, how do we compare to other Countries um, in terms of our own, I guess, more personal carbon emissions because this is about you know people's personal use rather than industry or agriculture.
2: Uh, so there's how do we how do we compare in terms of the amount of carbon we use, and then how do we compare in terms of how we're reducing our carbon usage? And the answer is by both metrics, pretty poorly. Um, we have relatively high carbon consumptions per capita in Ireland relative to other European countries. Um, But the rate at which we've been decreasing them is pretty low. Um, Now, we do have some of the most stringent emissions reduction targets in Europe, and there is some research to suggest that they were really set at too high a level, um, and that may be the case. But we certainly are um, performing particularly poorly in terms of meeting our targets. And then this also is the case not just for carbon emissions reductions, But also in terms of energy efficiency and in terms of renewable energy usage, we are not going to meet our renewable energy targets, not in transport, not in heating, and not in electricity. And most European
0: countries are. So, on all of those metrics, we're not the best. Christina, we mentioned earlier that. uh... You know, journal readers seem unhappy with this tax and despite there being cross-party you know, recognition that we have to do a lot more in Ireland about climate change, there has been a huge amount of criticism about Leinster House. Give us a flavour of what opposition parties have been saying about this tax.
1: Well, the discussion down in Leinster House, predominantly from um, Sinn Féin and Solidarity People Before Profit, is that the carbon tax, they don't believe, will change behaviour. They believe, I suppose, this is more, as you said, a carrot and stick option. And this is a lot more of the stick being felt on the everyday person. So um, Mary Lou MacDonald was in uh, Leaders Questions this week and she said that um, it won't um, help people reduce their carbon footprint because she doesn't think that the alternatives are there for people to switch to. And she also had criticisms i suppose of some of the case studies that as we had discussed um british columbia and, and citing other issues in terms of uh, reduction in their um economy she says is a reason for why their carbon emissions reduce obviously there's differing studies to prove otherwise and also solidarity people before profit breed smith is stating that this will hit say you know single parents and the elderly and we also have rural tds who are saying that You know, a carbon tax. Okay, it's uh, it's been hiked up, but perhaps for say the elderly person, as you said, if we want them to change their behaviour, if there's an elderly elderly person. living in the country, who uses their car regularly, perhaps every day to go to the shop or go to the pub and they live alone. And that's part of their, I suppose, connection to society. If they're going to start curtailing their lifestyle, what sort of impacts is that going to have on their life? Okay, carbon emissions are reduced, but what's the other impact on, on, on society in general? Um, but I, I suppose... Leo Varadkar has, has stated that we're a laggard in terms of our carbon emissions and that they have to take action. He totally disagrees with the likes of Mary Lou McDonald MacDonald that this won't change behaviours. He says that they have the science wrong and the facts wrong. But there's a lot of, I suppose, pushback. And even Pascal Dunne, who admitted yes, yesterday and during a budget that... He could well face pushback from the public on this. But he said he tried to learn lessons from, I suppose, the water charges of the past. And he believes this is uh, the right way forward.
0: Wherein is there any um, economic studies into what Christina was talking about there? That, you, yes, you can look at the carbon emissions and that behavioural change, but what's the impact on society? Like, is there more loneliness? Is there more uh, kind of unseen impacts of a tax like this?
2: Um, There has been a decent amount of research done internationally on certainly social acceptability of carbon taxation. On broader societal impacts, those can be kind of difficult to measure, but there hasn't been any specific research done for Ireland that I'm aware of. And I think it's uh, things like societal impacts, they really tend to be country specific. How citizens in France might react to something is totally different to how citizens in Ireland might react. And I think some of the points that were made there really do apply to Ireland, such as the fact that we have a lot of isolated rural housing um, compared to other countries. So those kind of households could be impacted more than the equivalent in Sweden or in France or in Denmark or anywhere
0: like that. Is there any way that the government can avoid an Irish water type scenario here that they can successfully communicate and get people on board with this with this tax like they have done in, in British Columbia, where people think it's actually a good initiative?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's a really good question because we have to bear in mind that the carbon tax got all the way to 20 euro without much of a whimper. I mean, it was certainly mentioned, but it didn't seem to be a big issue Um, And all we're talking about here is increasing it by a further six euro, and yet we're incredibly concerned about the social acceptability. Um, I wonder a couple of things. First of all, I wonder, do people overestimate how big the carbon tax actually is? So it's 26 euro per tonne. A tonne is a lot of carbon. So you take a bag of sugar, you take another 999 bags of sugar, and that's how much carbon we're talking before you have to pay 26 euro. So it's the weight of a small car. So to put it in context, if you have a 50 litre tank on your car, you'd have to fill your tank eight and a half times before you um, burn through a ton of carbon if it's a petrol car and seven and a half times if it's a diesel car. So that means that if you fill your car once a month, it's next February before you have to pay 26 euro. Whereas before yesterday, by next February, you had to pay 20 euro. So... When you see it in that context, it's maybe um, maybe the first step is trying to help people understand this is actually a very small amount of money compared to what you're spending on your fuel. So at the moment, it could cost 50, 60, 70 euros to fill your tank. We're talking an extra one euro. So it's gonna cost you 71 euro instead of 70 euro to fill your tank. Um, in, then in terms of the social acceptability of what to do with the money, um, Certainly colloquially, people seem to prefer the idea of ring fencing, but one of the problems with that is it's quite poorly targeted. The fuel allowance goes at low-income households, but it doesn't actually hit all the households in energy poverty. Then SEAI grants for things like electric vehicles and insulating your house, they tend to go towards higher-income households because there's quite a significant amount of money that the householder still has to put up. So you've got this cohort of people in the middle Who earn too much to qualify for fuel allowance, but they don't earn enough to be able to buy an electric vehicle and get a grant that way. So you might wonder whether or not they're the group you have to be concerned about. I think one of the options that wasn't explored was this recycling option, but using a labeling effect. So we, you know, you change tax benefits or you take you change tax credits or you change child benefit in order to recycle the carbon tax revenue, but you put a specific label on it. So on the 1st of January, instead of your payslip just showing, oh, you paid a little bit USC, or a little bit less USC, it shows you pay the same amount of USC, and then it specifically says carbon credit. So people will be able to see that way. Oh, here it is, it's showing up on my payslip that I got a carbon benefit, a carbon dividend, a carbon credit. Um, Similarly, instead of just getting 140 euro in child benefit, you might get 140 euro in child benefit and then an extra however many euro in carbon benefit for children. That might have been a way to make it more salient to the the general population Um, and maybe coupled with the fact that it's not actually a huge amount of expenditure in the context of the overall household budget. That might have been one way to get it across the line. Whether we're looking at another Irish water, I just don't know. Because it's not like you have to send off a cheque every year saying, here's how much carbon tax I'm paying. You just pay it every time you fill up your tank, you fill up your oil. I'm not so sure whether or not it will spark the
0: same kind of protest that Irish Water did. Because they're things you just have to do. A couple of practical questions that came up a bit during budget day. Um, If people are looking at this and they think, yeah, you know, I want to do my bit. And I also want to avoid paying carbon taxes, particularly in the future when they increase. I'd like to look at buying an electric vehicle. How much does an electric vehicle actually set you back? We hear a lot about grants and stuff, but it's hard to price a car sometimes when you're not in that world. How much would an electric vehicle set me back today? I mean, even taking
2: all the grants into account. You'd be looking minimum €20,000 if you're going to buy one new. And there's not much of a secondhand market for them yet because they are so new. I mean, it's not much more expensive than buying, say, a diesel car brand new, but it is a bit more expensive again. And most households don't buy cars brand new. Most households buy secondhand cars.
0: And if you wanted to drive it from Dublin to Cork, how much electricity would you be putting in and how much would that cost? You could get about 160 kilometres range. So
2: you would need to fill up once between Dublin and Cork. But in terms of how much a charge would cost you, I'm not too sure it's very cheap compared to a tank of petrol. But the main thing is very few people drive from Dublin to Cork at all, or at least on a regular basis. And the vast majority of people commute less than 50 kilometres to work and you can do 100 kilometres in one charge, no problem. So where an electric vehicle would work for most people would be as a second car. Um, and then if you do want to do the Dublin to Cork journey, you just use your diesel car or take the train, I suppose.
0: Uh, Christina, we've mentioned a few times that this isn't the end of the increases for the carbon tax. So what's the plan for the next few years with, with the carbon tax? Well,
1: uh, Pascal who said yesterday that if a Fine Gael-led government is elected uh, after the next general election, people can expect more carbon taxes. And he hinted that it would be at least €6.00. Um, per tonne every budget for the next number of years. So I suppose that's one that everybody can bet on in terms of the additional measures and the carbon tax and what that might be used for. um, You know, obviously we have the Green Party is one of the key parties that um, would have liked to see a a higher carbon tax. But what they have actually said that I suppose the alternatives should have been put in place for this carbon tax many years prior to this being brought in. Um, And Richard Bruton yesterday when asked about you know more grants or incentives for people to switch um he said he wanted to empower people to make the change but at the same time he acknowledged that the more people that move to electric the more grants they have to give and they just don't have that money so you will probably not see those incentives in terms of switching to electric you will, they're betting basically on the price of the car of that 20,000 car coming down and that more people will avail of that rather than giving more money in your pocket for you to switch over.
0: Thanks so much, Mirren and Christina, for taking that debate out of it because we've been just hearing so much noise around the carbon tax and that is so well explained. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for listening to The Explainer. We have one thing actually before you go. We have some exciting podcast news here at TheJournal.ie. Stardust is a new original podcast series from TheJournal.ie and it is out now. Speaking to witnesses, family members, journalists and more, the podcast delves into one of the worst tragedies in Ireland's history, one where 48 young people died in a nightclub fire on St Valentine's night in 1981. You will find the first episode wherever you listen to your podcasts. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. A big thank you to Miren and Christina for their work on the show. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you and catch you next time.